Welcome to the weekly sermon from Generations Church. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott and Melissa Hale. For the opportunity to be here with all ages, with kids and grandkids and parents and grandparents and, and young adults and wise adults. And Lord, just fill us with your spirit today. Fill us with your truth today. Have your way today. Have your way today. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, your kingdom come, your will be done. Best prayer ever, right? Best prayer ever. Okay, well, kids, you know what's happening. So this is all generations. We do this once a quarter on the fifth Sunday, and we have all ages with us today, which is awesome, and I'm so excited to get to uh, speak to all of you. But if you uh, are a kid, I have something extra special for you. I have some gift bags, and in these gift bags, there are so many cool things, I can't even go through it. There's no time. There's no time to go through all these things. But if you are three, four, or five years old, come up with the person in charge of you, okay, and you can get a bag. Now, real quick disclaimer, all of these bags have a Nutrigrain bar snack in them. These, if you need an allergy-free bag, if you can't have a Nutrigrain bar, these right here by me have applesauce. So you're welcome to take an applesauce bag. Three years old through kindergarten. They're all the same, these bags, so take them to your seat. Oh yeah, three, four, five, and kindergarten. You can come up kindergarten. Just grab a bag, grab a bag, perfect. Now I can have kindergarten first and second. <laughs> kindergarten first and second grade. Now I can have kindergarten first, second, third and fourth, third and fourth grade. I'm slowly crawling up. I'm gonna keep calling based on the number of bags I still see. Uh, third, fourth grade, fifth and sixth grade can certainly come up. If you're in fifth or sixth, <clears throat> there's a bag for you. I can already tell if you're in seventh or eighth, come grab a bag. I got you, junior high. I got you. Oh, okay. They're disappearing now. They're disappearing. We've literally got, oh, 10 or 15. Okay, I have called newborns through eighth grade. Yes, I want to make sure everybody to that age has a bag. Okay. Oh, Nico, just in time. Just in time, buddy. Um, Wayne, would you mind taking two or three and giving them to the back in case someone comes in late with kids and they can have a bag? If you are anyone else and you need a bag, you have five opportunities to come get one. Anybody else? They're right there. Okay. Let's get started this morning. I, I, I truly, truly believe that the Spirit of the Lord has something fresh to say to you today. And just because, there, there you go. Get it, girl. Just because there are children in the room does not mean that this is a kid message. And kids, just because there's adults in the room, it doesn't mean that this doesn't apply to you. This applies to everyone, no matter your age today. 
And that's exciting, right? A, Lord from, a word from the Lord is for everyone. And that's what's happening today. No, good job. Yes. I don't, they're all gone. Yay. Okay. A survey was taken of Europeans about their impression of Americans. And um, while they said many positive things like, oh, Americans are, uh, they're friendly, they're really enthusiastic, and they have good teeth. Um, more overwhelmingly, their response included this. Americans are loud, opinionated, overbearing, arrogant, superficial, fast food eaters, materialistic, and they think they're the center of the universe. Do you think any of these stereotypes are true? No, not for you. Not you. You're not like that at all. You're not like that. Think about your friends at school. Have you ever had a friend that acted any of those ways? Do you have anyone in your life you would describe by those words? Um, how's your commute? How are people driving on the road? Anybody drive? Any, not you, but other people. Are they driving like they're the center of the universe? Um, what kind of ads do you see on television? What are American companies trying to sell you? Everything, Everything is right. If you only had access to the news, would you want to live here? How do, you how do people treat you when they don't know you? How do people treat you when they do know you, right? So, good. So much of the time, whether people are American or not, people simply care very, very, very deeply about themselves. And people can even be nice or polite, but mostly they care about their feelings, their opinions, their ambitions and goals, and their comfort. So let's refer to this as me culture. Me culture says, I want me to be as happy as possible. And I want me to have what I want as soon as I want it. And I don't want you to get in my way. That's me culture. The other day I saw this really funny meme. It says, I match energies. So you go ahead and decide how we're going to act. This is, this is very me culture. Because when things are about me, what you're doing affects me. And so, you want to go? Let's go. You want to get crazy? I'll get crazy. We'll do it. You decide how we're going to act. That's me culture. But, um, you know, when we do that, it kind of goes downhill, doesn't it? Because when we use degrading or disparaging words, or we treat others like we matter more than they do, it's like blowing an air horn in their face. Now, blowing an air horn in someone's face is not a polite thing to do. Does anyone know what an air horn sounds like? Prepare yourself, friends. Listen, this is going to hurt me way more than it hurts you. I'm just letting you know. Right? When we treat people the way they're treating us, or we're rude, or we're unkind, 
It's like someone's blowing an air horn in their face over and over and over. I won't do it again. <clears throat> How would you feel if someone blew an air horn in your face? It would hurt your ears. That's right. Adeline, you tell me if someone ever blows an air horn in your face. And I'm just... <clears throat> okay, good news. When Jesus came, everybody say, Jesus came. Jesus came. When Jesus came, he revealed something brand new. Jesus revealed to us something called the kingdom of heaven. Everyone say, the kingdom of heaven. Let me tell you the good news of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is the truth that God is love and God reigns over all and that we should not blow air horns in each other's faces anymore. Right? Luke 17.20 says this. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Jesus reveals the kingdom of God to us. And guess what? The Holy Spirit continues to reveal the kingdom of God to us. So guess what? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom, the kingdom of God is his freedom because remember, God is love and he rules over all things. So where those who worship and follow him are is the kingdom. We bring the kingdom with us. So what's the difference, do you think, between the kingdom of God and me culture? Do you think there's a difference? Do you think the kingdom of God has a different culture than me culture? Let's see. What do, you think, what do you think the culture of the kingdom of God is, right? Because every place has a culture. Every, there's different cultures. What would be the culture of the kingdom? Maybe the culture of the kingdom is treating others the way you want to be treated. Does that sound good? Right, yeah. So, oh, in fact, didn't Jesus say, a new command I give you, be civil to one another as I have been civil to you? No? no? Is that not how it goes? Oh, he said love one another. That sounds like a little bit more than civility, doesn't it? Because being civil is good, right? That's being polite. It's being courteous of others. But do you think it's possible that the culture of the kingdom of heaven is more awesome than that? I think it might be even more awesome than that. In Romans 12, we're not asked to just be polite. In Romans 12, we're asked to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to the Lord. We're told you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. So you don't belong to you. You belong to him. And when we belong to him, we get to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice and we get to worship the Lord in everything we do every day. And we don't have to act like everyone else around us is acting because our identity isn't based on them. It's based on God's never ending love. Isn't that good news? It's good. God gets to be our never-ending source of supply for any and every need in our life. And if God is our never-ending source of supply, then guess what? You and I can freely give out what he's given us. We can freely give what we've been given. Now, the world has a word for treating some people extra special. 
And that word is honor. Everybody say honor. Honor. Honor, honor means um, you esteem and respect someone based on their accomplishments or their very important position. You honor them because of those things. In other words, somebody did something really great. They achieved something special, or they did something exceptional to be worthy of honor. And there is nothing wrong at all. There's nothing wrong with showing someone honor based on merit, but the kingdom culture differs from this idea. In the kingdom, the value and worth of someone is not earned by their merit or their accomplishment. In the kingdom, value and worth are based on God's love. The Hebrew word, there's a root word in Hebrew for honor, and it's kavad. And it means to be heavy or weighty. In the olden days, to know how much money was worth, they would put it on a scale. And the more a coin weighed, the heavier a coin was, the more value it had. Kavad can also mean to make heavy or to give weight to something. And it's kind of like this metal right here. I see this metal? When we, when we show honor to someone, it's like we are acknowledging their worth and their value, how heavy they are. And when we, Nathan, come here. Come here, Nathan. When we recognize the heaviness of someone's value, right? They are being heavy. They're valuable, right? When we do that and we recognize that and acknowledge it, then we're giving weight to their value. We're saying, you're valuable and you're worthy. And it's not based on all the things you did. It's based on God's love for you. That's why you're worth it. You can have a seat. I want this back, though. <laughs> I demetal you, Nathan. <clears throat> do you, how do you think someone feels when they get a medal? Happy? They feel good? Do they feel special? Think special? Do you want to be a person that blows air horns or gives medals? We want to be a people that gives medals. As Christians, we want to show honor to others because that's what Jesus showed to us. That's what Jesus showed to us. Jesus talked to people no one else would talk to. Jesus healed people no one else would touch. Jesus befriended people everyone else hated. That's what Jesus shows to us. And you know what else he did? He intentionally connected to every person he came in contact with. Jesus demonstrates to us the kingdom culture of honor. Now, the kingdom culture of honor is very special, and it's defined like this. A culture of honor is treating others the way that Jesus would treat them, as valuable and worthy of dignity. With every interaction, you and I have the opportunity to show others their priceless value by treating them as Jesus would treat them if he were standing in your shoes at that very moment. Wow, what a concept, right? Take a look at this painting. This is called Salvatore Mundi. 
Does this look like anybody to you, boys and girls? Who do you think that might be? Oh, you think it looks like Jesus? This painting in English is called Savior of the World. And in 1958, this painting was sold at auction to an English couple for $500. And then in 2007, it was sold again to uh, an American art museum for a little under $10,000. And then in 2017, this painting was the most expensive painting ever sold at over $400 million. So what do you think happened in 12 years? This painting had been neglected and it had been poorly restored and for decades it was attributed to an art student in the 1500s. But after it was carefully and expertly restored, more layers of the original painting revealed it was actually the work of Leonardo da Vinci. The painting's artist was the world-famous, iconic Renaissance man himself, and that made a monumental difference. Da Vinci's name gave this painting great value. Human value is immeasurable because it's based on the one who created it. Our worth comes from our creator. Our value is not measured by our accomplishments. Our value is not measured by our abilities. And your value is not measured by the lack of both of those things. Every person on the planet is heavy with value. People are priceless because God is their artist. Oh, it's better that God made you than even da Vinci made you. God made you. And God fashioned us with great love, and he offers his grace freely to us. And when we get this revelation, when we get this revelation, we understand how essential it is to treat others as valuable and worthy of dignity. After all, there's only one you. Raise your hand if you're you. There's only one you, and there's only one you, right? You were created with unique giftings. You were created with a unique purpose. You were created with a unique destiny. You are irreplaceable. And guess what? If you can come to the realization that you are irreplaceable, you start to see other people as irreplaceable. If you can come to the revelation that your value and worth is immeasurable, you start to go, Oh, well, then that means their value is immeasurable, right? You have to understand it for yourself, and then all of a sudden, everything changes for you. So we have to remember, no matter where we are, what we're doing, no human is insignificant or unimportant, and no one should ever be made to feel small or worthless. And in a society where life can literally be viewed as disposable, understanding the infinite value of every single person is the missing first step to a kingdom culture shift. That's how it shifts. When we instill dignity in others, we're acknowledging and depositing the truth that they are valuable and important. And when we speak and act in a way that says, you're worth my time, you're worth my attention, you're worth my kindness, you know what you're doing? We're investing kingdom identity 
into people. Romans 12.10 says, Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I like a little competition. Outdo one another in showing honor. We show honor because every person is loved by God. He's their artist. He loves them, and that makes them valuable and worthy of dignity. And when we give honor to others, you know what we're doing? We're reflecting God's love and instilling kingdom worth into them. And for people who have been treated poorly and dishonorably in their life, when we honor them, it's like we're expertly restoring a priceless painting. It's not hard to show honor to a brave fireman or a devoted grandparent. They're world changers, right? They deserve special attention and appreciation. That's, that's almost easy to do. But how is it possible to show this kingdom honor to everyone? Let's look at in Ephesians 3. In Ephesians 3, Paul encourages the church of Ephesus to get full on God's love. Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The more deeply you understand the infinite depths of God's perfect love, the more freely it flows in you and through you. And the more you spend time worshiping him and allowing him to fill all the spaces of your life, the more you'll know his love. Ephesians 5, Ephesians is the letter, I'm telling you, it's the letter today. Ephesians 5, 18 says, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. I mean, that's how we talk to each other all the time, right? It's with all the psalms and the hymns, they're just popping out. They're just freestyle psalms and hymns. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, the Father, for everything. Hold on. I don't have my glasses on. Yeah, for everything. It says for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this is cool. The original Greek verb in this passage that's translated be filled Do you know what that Greek word actually means, the meaning of it? It literally means never stop being filled. In other words, it means be being filled with the Spirit of God. When we allow ourselves to continuously be filled with the Spirit of God, you know what happens? God becomes your source. Now you might think, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. Yeah, I get what you're saying. But do you know you've got to be tapped into that every single day? 
to be a spirit-filled Christian today, you can, you can turn off that spirit <laughs> really quickly, depending on the situation, right? Continuously be being filled with the Spirit of God. That's kind of like praying without ceasing, right? It's, it's that attitude where you are connected so much to the Spirit of God in the situation, you're checking with him before you are going to say the next thing. You're asking him about that little decision. Be being filled with the Spirit. That makes God our source, and then, guess what? When God's our source, we have the fuel that we need to operate in a culture of honor. He's the fuel that we need. And when we do that, we're not only going to put a medal around someone's neck. Do you know what we're going to do? We're going to reveal the freedom of the gospel to them. That shows them the gospel. When we recognize the value of and instill dignity in those around us, it impacts their identity with the reality of the kingdom of heaven. It makes the reality of the kingdom of heaven more than the reality around them. And that's powerful. That's the gospel. And not only that, that's us living out Jesus as our source. When we're able to honor others, we're living out Jesus as our source because our respectful, peace-filled behavior is based on him, and that's a witness to other people. That person's thinking, man, I would have lost it. They're being so peaceful and patient. Why? How is that possible? Oh, it's Jesus. Jesus lets me do it. He's my source. And you know what? It's a witness to other people, but you know where it's a witness to the most? The people in your family. Everybody say family. Family. Kingdom culture has to start at home. You know what? Society is built on individual homes. If you look at your society, it's a bigger picture of what's happening in the smaller spaces. Kingdom culture of honor, it has to start in the home. For children, for children, Y'all are doing so good. You're paying such good attention. Kids, you know what that also includes? Honor, obeying your parents. Everybody say, obey parents. That's right. For parents, it includes faithfully leading their children honorably with the love and the fruits of the Spirit. Friends, I think that's harder than obeying your parents. (laughs) Truth be told. Right? Well, the kids get the simple thing. They just got to obey. Parents have the harder job to lead with the love of God and the fruit of his spirit all the time. So now listen, it's not enough for us to believe people are valuable. Because I know a lot of you are sitting there, I agree with her. Everyone is valuable and worthy of dignity. That is one thing to think in your mind. It has to come across in our personality and choices to be an acceptable act of worship to God. It's not enough we think something. We have to show the thing we think. And when we show the thing we think, it is worship. God receives it as worship. So, um, yes, honoring others is an act of worship to our king. And we are all called, all of us are called to act with honor. (gasps) Yay, a handy acrostic that will help us remember how to act with honor. Okay, we want to act with honor. So this is what I want you to remember. We need to honor in our actions, in the content of our words, and in our tone, the manner with which we speak or our attitude. So let's give an example of this. Our actions are what we do. The things that we do need to be honorable 
to the Lord and those around us. Um, one example is following through and doing something you said you were going to do. Kids, if you told mom and dad, yes, I'll take the trash out, you know what honor says? Go ahead and take that trash out. Go ahead and do it right now. Content. The content of the words that we speak should show honor. Are my words considerate? Are my words kind? Do my words increase someone's value? Are my words truthful? Are my words honorable? And finally, tone. What's my, what's my attitude like? Am I having a respectful attitude? Has anyone ever heard someone say, fine? The word is okay. How's the tone? Tone. We've got to watch our tone. We have to think. Because you know what we want? We want our insides to match our outsides. Do you know our tone is the quickest way to show what's in our heart? That one hurt me too. It's okay. It hurt me too. Actions, content, and tone. In order to act honorably, we need all three of these working together. I'm going to illustrate this for you in a hypothetical example. Let's say a mom spent two hours making a homemade beef stew and cornbread dinner for her family. Is that an honorable action? You bet it is. All right. Everyone walks in the door, and the kids declare, Daddy said we could have pizza for dinner. They can already taste the pizza all they want. They smell the stew. They don't care. So the mom goes, fine, don't eat it and get used to pizza because I'm never cooking again. <laughs> Are these honorable words? No. no. It's not kind words. No. Listen, listen in. Everybody bring it in. Lean in. If our identity is based on the approval of others when we don't get it, we react very poorly. So, what if that mom, okay, let's try this instead. What if that mom is hurt that they don't care about her dinner, um, but instead she says this, oh, it's no problem at all. My dinner doesn't matter. Of course we can all have pizza. Is that honorable? Why is that not honorable? Because it's not true. Lying is not honorable. Pretending everything's okay when it's not, it's not honorable. So let's think of a third way. What could be a third way that mom might respond to the situation? We can have pizza tomorrow. Tonight, everybody's going to eat my stew, right? Or, or what about this response? You know what? We can order pizza because everybody knows stew's better the next day. We'll have stew tomorrow. Or, my favorite, you guys can have pizza. I'm eating the stew. Because <laughs> this is way better than pizza, right? There's other options. Honor doesn't react. Honor responds from the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, too. Gentleness and self-control, right? These are the hallmarks of an honorable interaction. Honor says, you know what? God is my source. God is my source. 
God is responsible for meeting all my inner needs. God is responsible for validating me. God, God told me that he loves me no matter what. I can't earn it. So therefore, I can respond to you with what I am drawing from in the spirit. Wow. Now, some of you may be thinking, you know, that's great and all, but we just can't go around letting people act like little selfish monsters <laughs> and getting away with it. And you know what? You're right. No one wants to live like that. We all need structure. We all need accountability. And we all need discipline in our homes. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. Now I got you back. Okay, Ephesians. <laughs> Ephesians 6 and 1. As for children, obey your parents in the Lord because it is right. The commandment, honor your mother and father, is the first one with the promise so that things may go well for you and you will live long in the land your Lord, your God has given you. You guys, there is a promise associated when you listen and obey the commandments of the Lord. Things will be well with you. You will live long in the land God's given you. That is a beautiful promise. Uh-oh, it keeps going. Parents, did you know you were here too? As for parents... Don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them with discipline and instruction about the Lord. Now, this verse can be interpreted 5,000 different ways. But did you know the word discipline comes from the word disciple? Yeah, I know. A disciple of Jesus, what does a disciple of Jesus do? Follows Jesus, acts like Jesus, does what Jesus showed us to do, right? And when uh, you disciple someone, when you're discipling someone, it means to teach them and train them by modeling the right thing. So as parents, we're called to disciple our children. Here's what it looks like when you take the disciple out of discipline. I'm going to give you a real life example. Um, <clears throat> when it comes to the communication in our home, Scott and myself come from two distinct communication cultures. Uh, the Hales are a softer spoken, I would describe it as classy communicators. <clears throat> the Morrises are a louder bunch, I would describe it as exuberant. Um, <clears throat> So in our own home, I bet you can tell where the genetic lines of communication fall. Scott and Julius are, they're Hales. Um, Melissa and Mason are more Morris. We're a little bit louder. And Adeline's perfect. She's the perfect blend. She does everything perfect. So um, our house, I don't know if your house ever gets like this, but our house was just getting a little too loud all the time, a little too rambunctious. We have a two-story house. Everybody's always hollering at somebody from a different part of the house. And uh, I just was like, man, the neighbors are going to think we're screaming at each other. Um, and we're just asking, where are our socks? So uh, I come up with a really great rule. I come up with a really great rule, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to solve this. I'm solving this right now. I said, here's the new rule. Here's the new rule. When you want to talk to somebody, you have to go to the room that they're in. That should solve all our problems, right? Right? I'm like, this rule is foolproof. It's foolproof. It's going to be great. So now everyone in our house knows this rule. They know this rule. 
But it doesn't stop Mason from yelling at everyone from a different room. Mason is still going, Jules, come here and look at this. Daddy, do you know where my shoes are? Mommy, what's for dinner? Can I please go to Gigi and Popo's? Yeah. Yelling all the time. Yes, uh-huh, thank you. All the time. And you know, for some reason, when I'm imagining the scenario, I'm over the stove cooking dinner. This always happens when I'm over the stove cooking dinner. And so do you know what I do? I am just like, Mason, stop yelling! If you yell one more time, you're going to lose video games all day. <laughs> what am I doing? Answer this. Am I discipling Mason? No, I'm not discipling Mason. Because me hollering, don't do that. Stop it. Stop yelling. Me doing that is, is me not modeling the right thing to do. It's me acting out of frustration and using controlling means to try to change someone's behavior. Now, this had a short-term success rate of 50%. It had a long-term success rate of 0%. 0% long-term success rate. In the book, in the book, Families Where Grace is in Place, you will get it now. Amazon Prime, this book, now. This book will revolutionize how you parent, how your family interacts. Families Where Grace is in Place by Jeff Van Vondren. This, I cannot recommend this book to you enough. Here's what he says. Jeff says, your first responsibility as a parent is to take care of yourself. A cared-for parent who knows how to rest in God is more adequate resource to family members and less likely to resort to control and manipulation in an attempt to find satisfaction in the performance of others. The whole book is that times 10,000. So on a different day, as I was yelled at from across the house and I was about to holler back, I felt led to do something different. I stepped away from what I was doing. I walked calmly over to Mason, and I gently asked him, Mason, what do we do when we want to talk to someone? And Mason said, go to the room that they're in. And he said it in a normal tone of voice. It wasn't amazing. He said it. And I went, exactly. I said, if you want to talk to me, come into the kitchen. And then you know what I did? I walked away. I walked away. And the most amazing thing happened, friends. He came and walked into the kitchen. We had a normal conversation. It was fantastic. It was amazing. It was life-changing. You know what else? He has done so much better since that day, not hollering, and so have I. It was a win-win. We both did better. Um, honor, honoring someone, it doesn't enable the wrong thing. Do you know what it does? It empowers the right thing. It actually empowers the right thing. And really quick, if I can, if there was a really subtle something that happened, and I want you to get it, because parents, I think this will change your life and it'll help your kids. Enabling Mason would have been coming up to him and saying, Mason, what's the rule? Okay, if you want to talk to me, you've got to go to the room with your in. But go, since I'm standing here, go ahead and tell me what you wanted to say. Eh, that's enabling. You have to disciple. Empowering someone is reminding them of the right thing and then walking away and hoping 
they're going to follow you while you're modeling the right thing. And sometimes that's hard to do. It's hard to do. But the long-term results prove that it's the right thing to do. Okay, what about a tougher scenario? What if someone is raising their voice and blaming you for everything that went wrong in the world? Right? What if that happens? What, what if it happened this morning? You don't have to react in anger and shout and match their energy. Right? Amen. We don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. Because you know what? They're not responsible for you. You are. Your response is your responsibility. Kids, your response at school, doesn't matter what everyone else is doing, your response is your responsibility. Everybody here up to the age of 105, your response is your responsibility. Other people's outbursts or selfish behavior does not and should not have power over us because they are not our source. If someone else becomes our source, they do have power over us. When God is our source, when his spirit is our source and our identity and our character is based on him, our response is also based on him. But we'll only respond with the spirit of God when we are resting in him as our source and filling up in his love and in the grace that he's shown us. The Holy Spirit makes us capable of treating others honorably no matter what the person is doing or the situation. I mean, that's a fascinating concept, right? Now, the world says this is not possible. It is possible by the Spirit of God. Now, will someone's heart change after one honor-spirit-filled exchange? Eh, I don't know. Probably not. You may need to repeat that Spirit-led, honorable, I, you're valuable, you are worthy of dignity, I'm going to speak truth and love to you. You may have to repeat that five, ten, a thousand times before it's reciprocated back to you. And do you know what that's called? That's called discipling. And what did Jesus say? Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. This is one way that happens. A culture of honor is one way that happens. I'm going to have the worship team start coming up as I bring our service to a close. Family, these are the deposits we make in each other that fill us with more of Jesus. Every deposit of honor is a kingdom deposit in the identity of your family members that brings you and them closer to Jesus. This is true when children obey their parents with a cheerful heart. This is true when parents honor their children by disciplining them with the love and the patience of the Holy Spirit. Um, Ivan Tate called us yesterday, and I took the phone away from Scott, and I said, give me your best thought on honor, and here's what he told me. He says, <clears throat> oh, the Ivan Tate quote, do we have that? I can read it to you. Ivan says, whatever you honor converts you. You honor the right thing, and you'll do the right thing. You honor the wrong thing, you'll do the wrong thing. Honor is the conversion point of life. Once you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you've chosen to make him the conversion point of your life. Things should start to look very different from the way they looked before. Um, I'm going to cough. <coughs> Pardon me. I don't know about you, 
but I didn't turn into Jesus the day I got saved. Being perfect like Jesus has not been the breeze that I anticipated, right? It hasn't. And are any of us there yet? If you're alive and breathing on this planet, none of us are there yet. No, we're not. But guess what? Every day is a new day that we can worship and honor our king, right? And when we are fixed on honoring God, his spirit reveals in us the places that we need to grow in, like love or like patience. Or you know what else it does? It reveals the spaces I haven't surrendered to him yet. And that's usually like my pride or my fears. And do you know why it's so important to allow the Lord to continually reveal to you where you have hidden pride and fears? Because pride and fear are fertile spaces for dishonor to infest. And like a virus, it'll cover your heart and it'll cover your thoughts until you believe that what matters most in the world is you. If honor perpetuates the kingdom, dishonor perpetuates me culture. Our natural default, it can be to blame and shame and complain and drain those around us in an effort to make ourselves feel better. And that's why asking the Spirit of God to fill us every single day is essential. Because guess what? We need him every day, don't we? We need God fresh every day. His mercies are new every morning. We can't live on what we learned yesterday about God. We can't live on that great sermon we heard a year ago about God. We need him every day. Truly, every hour. If we're being real, every millisecond. And the thing about God is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, but he never repeats himself with you. He's new. He's the same, and he's brand new all at the same time. Only his spirit fills us and leads us and teaches us and convicts us and transforms us more and more and more into the image of Jesus. Can we stand up together? We're going to stand up together and we're going to say a prayer as one big family. And when you say this prayer, I want you to mean it. I want it to become the ethos of your life, that you bring the kingdom with you wherever you go. And where the kingdom of God is, a culture of honor exists. And we are responsible for our response in bringing that culture of honor to others. And here's our prayer. Let's say it together. Spirit of the living God, fill me up with you so I can give away your fruit in all I say and do. I want to be like Jesus to everyone I meet. Help me share your kingdom by acting honorably. Actions, content, tone. We want everything that we do, the posture we take toward others, to be recognizing them as the most valuable of souls, as worthy of dignity. And we want to instill that kingdom identity in them. Amen. Thank you for listening. Be sure to visit gchurch.net for more information about this podcast and other resources.